take a look at this and as we've been doing, let's say this together and say it with heartfelt and I hope that whether it's not this version or in your own, your own Bible that you're using, that you're memorizing this, let's say it together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Or amen. How many, are we going to say amen or amen? It doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. And I do have this memorized. I have this memorized like in five versions. So if I, if I try to do it from memory in front of you, I'm going to add some things. And what's probably the hardest part is this part's always a little, you know, there's, that part's a little different in different versions. So I'm glad you're doing it. So here's what we're doing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do because we're going to look at them today, uh, turn with me to Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And here's what we're finding in this, this is like the introduction to the actual prayer. And Jesus teaches us the way to pray before the words to say. And that's like a reminder, isn't it? That it's not so much your words, but it's your heart cry and your heart motivation that counts. And so from verses 5 through 8, if you look there in your Bibles, Matthew 6, we see the wrong way to pray. And last week we saw that the wrong way is to pray like a hypocrite. And this week we're going to see the wrong way is to pray like an orphan. So let's read those verses. We'll begin in 5, read through 5 through 8, just to remind us of the wrong way to pray. Verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, that's a divine judgment. They have their reward in full. But you, my disciples, my followers, kingdom citizens, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so he continues on in verse 7. There's another wrong way to pray. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. So what the idea is we've moved from the street corner and we're in our prayer closet and he's saying to you now, as you address your father, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus begins with the wrong way to pray before the words to say. So last week, here's what we saw. We saw... Uh, when you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. And we saw their approach was like a prayer actor on a stage performing for men. The example is the Jewish Pharisees. The focus, they pray to be seen of men. Their goal is to be applauded by the men that see them, the people that see them. Their attitude is thinking of self as God. Because when you uh, see the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Jesus says the Pharisee stands and prays to himself. And that's really all you're doing when you're a prayer actor. And then the heart of it is a self-centered heart of religion. So this morning, we want to look at praying like an orphan. Praying like an orphan. And aren't you glad that Jesus begins this way? Not with the words to say... But the way to pray, and the reason he does that is because he understands you and I that we don't know how to pray. Isn't that encouraging? In other words, he starts where most of us are. Okay, He starts where we are, praying like a hypocrite or praying like an orphan. He gets it, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. And isn't it interesting? 
as you look at these verses, there's a, progress, there, there's a similarity in structure. So both of these, uh, last week and this week, there's two verses. The first verse says what not to do, verse 7. And then verse 8 in your Bibles tells you the right way to do it. But there's also a progression. So last week, the hypocrites praise to be seen by men, to be heard by others. But here, the pagans pray to get a hearing before God. And so the, it, it's interesting. The believers in the passage, the professed believers, they're praying so men will hear them and see them. The unbelievers in the passage are praying upward to a god or gods or idols, and they're trying to get a hearing from God. It's, it's, it's an interesting comparison. So here's what we're going to do. The lessons divide in two parts. First, how to pray like a pagan orphan. And then the second part will be how to pray like a holy child of God. So let's begin in verse 7. How to pray like a pagan orphan. Uh, you say, uh, is Jesus want us to pray this way? No, he wants us to know this so we don't pray this way. How to pray like a pagan orphan. First of all, the first step in praying like a, a pagan orphan is sound like an unbeliever. Sound like an unbeliever. Or you could literally say, sound like an idol worshiper. Sound like a pagan believer. The reason I say that is the word here that Jesus uses is Gentiles. When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Now, most of you are aware Gentiles refer to non-Jews, but I think he's going a little deeper. He's saying those that don't believe in the true God. And I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's been replaced by the Christian Standard Bible. But the Holman Christian Standard Bible said this, do not, use, do not babble on. Babel on, Babylon, <laughs> kind of funny. Do not babble on as the idolaters. And that's the idea. Idolaters, pagan worshipers of false gods. Now, you might be saying, do unbelievers even pray? And remember in the previous lessons we've talked about, yes, uh, cursing and cussing is a form of praying. So that they, unbelievers pray even when they don't know it. But also, all of us, Every man, woman, young person is made in the image of God. So we have a desire to go upward in our communication. And we're made of dust. And when life comes crushing down, these last two years, God has been sifting and shaking the nation, sifting our church and even sifting the culture. And when we have economic, emotional, physical health problems, we have a tendency all of us, whether we believe in God or not, to cry out. But what I want you to see here is Jesus is not rebuking pagans for praying this way. He's rebuking you and I for praying like a pagan prays. Okay, so that you, you want to realize. Unbelievers pray like unbelievers because they are unbelievers okay that's the point so jesus isn't getting down on them so much but the problem becomes when we as believers pray like an unbeliever so that's the idea sometimes and here's what i want you your focus needs to be sometimes you and i sound like a pagan when we pray to god okay what are meaningless repetitions? That's what the New American Standard has. What are meaningless repetitions and what do they sound like? Well, let me give you some common, first of all, some common misconceptions. Uh, it's easy to focus on repetition instead of meaningless. Okay, so when you see meaningless repetitions, oh, I know what he's saying. Never repeat anything in prayer. And so... Sometimes people think Jesus is rejecting written prayers that are read. And that's not the case at all, okay? It's okay to write out prayers. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I'm spontaneous, it's more authentic. Uh, uh, no, a lot of times spontaneous prayers are more confusing, scattered, rabbit trail, you know. So it's okay to write out your prayers. And it's even okay to read other people's prayers that are printed and read and written out and pray them 
from your own heart. Sometimes people think that Jesus is rejecting memorized prayers that are repeated. Well, not necessarily. I'm having you repeat the Lord's Prayer every week. Okay, and all throughout church history, God's people have repeated the the Lord, memorized it and repeated. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is mechanical, meaningless, mindless prayers that are repeated as ad nauseum. In other words, to the extreme. Do you ever come across uh, the Roman Catholic radio channel? How many of you ever come across a Roman Catholic and they're, I don't, you know, and I don't know enough about this, so I, but they, they're saying they're Hail Marys. And so one time uh, we were traveling, I said, Gwen, let's listen to see how long this goes. And yeah, no, no, that was a mistake. Uh, we, 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 we were driving a long way, but it wasn't long enough. I was like, okay, I've had enough of this. Why? Because it's meaningless repetition. Now, the Bible doesn't put the focus so much on repetition as it does on the idea of meaningless. So here's here's the idea. Many words or meaningless words or both. And so is the idea many words or is it meaningless words or is he talking about both? Many meaningless words. The reason I say this is look at the context. The best way to know what meaningless repetition means is to let the Bible interpret itself. So notice in verse 7, he uses this phrase. It's translated different in different translations. Babbling on, keeping up empty phrases, meaningless repetition. But then he says, for they suppose they will be heard for what? For their many words. So that's the idea, at least. It seems it's the idea of many words. But when you look at what the word means lexically, the Greek word that is translated meaningless repetitions is a certain Greek word that's very rare. It shows up no other place in the Bible. And in those days, it didn't even show up in any other literature. And in Greek, it's baralageo. Baralageo. You say, why are you giving me a Greek pronunciation? The reason is the word sounds like what Jesus is getting at. Baralagego, baralageo, babalagero, baba babble, babbling, babbling on, just words that pile up. Uh, you ever think about the word boom. It sounds like what it is. Boom. Okay, it's a, there's a a, a, a a a figure of speech, a name for this, words that sound like what they are. And that's the idea here. So you have the idea is not only many words, but meaningless words, words that are piled one upon the other. In fact, this word batalageo sounds very similar to the Greek word for stammering. Okay, And the Greek-speaking culture was very cultured. And when they heard anyone that was not speaking Greek, it sounded like to their ears, bar, 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 bar. And so they would call those people barbarians. That's where barbarians come, babbling. I mean, and it really does take you uh, back to the Tower of Babel, does it? When you hear different people talk, oh, they're just babbling on. Or when you're a little little kid, okay, like I always need uh, Dana to translate Knox language. You know, Knox has an interesting language of babbling, but it means something if you know the language, right? And that's the idea here. And so, really, the idea is to speak a lot of words, but also to utter sounds that make no sense. And so, I gave you some of the English translations. Do not use meaningless repetition or the update. Thoughtless repetition. The NIV, do not keep on babbling. There's the idea of many words, meaningless words. Uh, Don't babble like the Gentiles. ESV's got a really good translation. Do not heap up empty phrases. Just don't pile on the words that mean nothing. Do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles. So what I want you to take away from this is this. Meaningful repetition is good. 
meaningful repeating of the Lord's Prayer or of request to God is good, but meaningless, mechanical, or mindless, or much repetition, that's wrong. Keep the focus on meaningless more than repetition. So here's the bottom line. We sound like pagans when we pray three ways. We sound like pagans when we pray, first of all, with many wordy prayers. When we pray wordy prayers. In other words, too much verbiage. Too much verbiage. Uh, uh, One Greek uh, dictionary uh, explained this word this way. Quality matters more than quantity, but above all, verbosity and prattling on is here denounced. So when we pray wordy prayers, we sound like pagans. Two, when we pray lengthy prayers, too much time, they go on too long. When we pray lengthy prayers, (laughs) it was just interesting reading some of these books that I got to read to, to, to learn some of this stuff. And, and they talked about logaria. Logaria, Greek word uh, for wor- the Greek word for word is log- logos. Logaria uh, kind of reminds you of diarrhea. Well, not margarita. <laughs> no, diarrhea. <laughs> diarrhea. It's the same ending for diarrhea. And the idea here, this guy is saying, the idea is words that are just running on. And I couldn't help but think of my dear dad, God bless him, uh, who used to say, Chris, you got diarrhea of the mouth, you know, and it w- which was his way of saying shut up, okay? And that's exactly what this word, I mean, I saw that and I said, well, dad, there you go, logaria. He just didn't know the Greek, and he was Greek, by the way. He was from Greece. So lengthy prayers where you just got diarrhea of the mouth. Pardon me, that's a regus idiom. Third, empty prayers. Empty prayers. We sound like pagans when we pray empty prayers. Too much babbling. Too much babbling. So we got too much verbiage, too much time, and too much babbling. Words that are countless, they go on and on. Words that are endless, and words that are pointless, okay? Pagan worshipers, now here's the deal, in Jesus' day. Remember when Paul went to Athens in Greece, and there were so many idols, He's like, man, you are a very spiritual people. There's so many idols. Well, what pagans would do is they would go to each idol and then repeat the same chant and then go to the next idol and repeat the same chant. The idea was you're covering your bases. And so it was just, it was exhausting, right? And hey, that's just not back then. There are religions today where if you would go into their houses of worship, there are all sorts of images and icons and relics. And they go and they chant and they chant and they kiss and they bow and they kneel and they they crawl. I've been in Mexico, in the plaza of Mexico, and seen women carrying babies, crawling on bloody knees to approach God in prayer. So... That's easy to point at, right? Uh, In fact, in Acts 19.34, Paul records, Luke records, that in the city of Ephesus, for two hours, the idol worshipers of Artemis chanted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours straight, they chanted that. Now, it was, you know, they were chanting it, but that's the way they also worship. Just great, you know, repeating over and over. But what we want to ask ourselves is, are my prayers wordy, long-winded, and worthless in God's eyes? In other words, are my prayers full of a lot of hot air? Now, I want to acknowledge that we have different personalities. Now, I am a wordy person. You know that. Okay? I don't have to tell you that. That's me. Others of you... I can't pry a word out of you, okay? So we, we all have different personalities. God is not squelching our personalities. But I bet you I'm not the only one here who has found myself praying, and I'm just like, I just stop myself, and I'm like, I'm babbling on. I mean, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm not even sure what, what am I saying? I don't even know what I'm saying, Lord, much less, you know, what I'm saying to you. And so that's the idea. Now, there are many applications that we can take from this phrase. There are many 
kinds of meaningless and mindless repetition. And I gave you 10 of them there in your notes. Now, we're not going to take the, go, the time to go through these. I did have a lot of fun making these, thinking about them, because they're so easily recognizable. But the goal is not to make fun of people and their prayers. Our goal is not to be the prayer police and go around policing the prayers of others. But we want to recognize that this isn't something just back in history. This is how we pray. This is how you hear people pray. There's people who are on TV wanting you to pay them to pray like this, okay? And so think through some of these prayers. Uh, We sound like a pagan when we pray lucky charm prayers that are magical, mystical, or mysterious. Do you realize the word abracadabra is just a meaningless word to make a magical incantation? And sometimes our prayers sound like that, okay? Uh, There's twist God's arm prayers that mandate what God must do. In other words, name it and claim it prayers of faith healers. There's engaged mouth, not mind prayers that are mechanical. So uh, when Roman Catholics say, it's very easy, say all their Hail Marys to just do it in a mechanical, meaningless way. But hey, we Protestants would repeat the Lord's Prayer. Some do it every single Sunday in a service. And we can do that mechanical. And what Baptist hasn't said prayers over their meals in a mechanical, meaningless way? So we can all be this way. Uh, There's your cover your bases prayer that are just misguided. You just kind of, okay, whoever's up there, you know, that's what the Athenians were doing. There's politically correct prayers that are very marketable. In, in this age, we can call God mother and use he and she pronouns. There's let's make a deal prayers that are manipulative. That's the foxhole praying. God, if you do this, I'll do this. Tower of Babel prayers that are meaningless. Speaking in tongues and uh, uh, charismatic praying where it's just, just babbling on. And uh, I suppose, you know, they say, well, I'm, it's ministering to me. Well, then go minister by yourself to you. Because when you're doing that, none of us are being blessed because we don't know what you're saying. There's navel-gazing prayers that are mindless mantras by babbling Buddhas. There's aerobic workout prayers that mislead and sometimes mutilate. We can uh, be crossing ourselves. We can be counting beads. And remember Martin Luther? He would beat himself. All of this is idea that, hey, the more I get physically into it, or worse, the more I lose control, the more God is impressed. Okay? And then scriptural prayers that are misused or misunderstood. How many remember the prayer of Jabez fad? Okay, that was among evangelical Christians, but they took a prayer and misused it. Now, I taught a series on it. There is, it is a biblical prayer, and I pray that prayer as a structured prayer, but not in a misguided or, or a misunderstood way. Well, here's what Jesus says about all these kind of prayers. According to Jesus... These, such praying is of no use. It gets no answers. Secondly, such praying is of no worth. It's of no worth because it has no content or the content is empty. And third, such praying is of no value. It has no heart. That's the issue. That's the issue. Jesus says, hey, this isn't the way to get prayers. I like what John Bunyan, the Puritan, said. In prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without heart. Okay? And contrast this. Listen, contrast this with last week or with verses 5 and 6. In in verses 5 and 6, the hypocrite prays because there's an audience of people. Here, the pagan prays this way to get an audience with the gods. So do you see the difference? If I'm praying for you, I'm praying to impress you. But as an unbeliever, I don't know this God. So I'm trying to get his attention. And I'm trying to get an audience with him in my prayers. Again, he's not rebuking the pagans as much as he's rebuking us. Now, why do we tend to pray this way? 
Why would believers pray this way? Well, here's the second way to pray like a pagan. Think like an orphan. Think like an orphan. So sound like an unbeliever. But the reason you sound like an unbeliever is because you're thinking with an orphan mentality. Notice why pagans pray the way they do in verse 7. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. How do orphans think about prayer? Let me give you, I love this lesson. I am just so excited all week because it's just so practical, convicting, and so motivating. Here's how orphans think about prayer. I need to bug God to get his attention. I need to bug God to get his attention. How do orphans on the street get your attention? How many of you have ever been either in a big city or even here in Kansas City, or especially if you're in another country and you stand out as an American and they think all Americans are rich, which by their standards we are. How do orphans approach you? What? Begging. Begging. Yes. How, how, how do they do it? How do they get your attention? Tugging on you. They pull on your sleeve. They pull on your... And they follow after you. And they repeat the same words. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. It's irritating. Why do they do this? They get in front of you. They walk behind you. They sneak up on you. Why? They do it to get your attention. So you give them their provision. Attention for provision. That's the idea. Like an orphan, the pagan thinks to himself, I better use many words to get God's attention. I better repeat these words over and over and over and bug him. They also think, number two, I must beg God for an answer. So I've got to bug God, but then I have to beg God for an answer. How do orphans beg for an answer? They just say the same thing over and over and over until you what? Until you give it to them. Because you're finally like, and what do you say? Here. And then what do we we say? Here. Go away. (laughs) Get lost. There. Quit bugging me. And what does the orphan do? They leave. They leave. But then what happens when the provision runs out? What does the orphan do? They come back and they beg some more. And you say, go away. And there's just this tension. Because here's the idea. For an orphan, he doesn't want a relationship with you. He wants provisions from you. Are you with me? Are you with me? And the reason, listen, and once he gets that provision... He's gone. The conversation is over. You know, the orphan doesn't get the provision and then say, how you doing? I really enjoyed walking with you today. No, he's gone. And when, when the orphan, he or she comes back, it's not, hey, how you been doing? I really enjoyed what you gave me. And it's been good to, you know, for you to be this generous. And I really, no, give me more. Give me more. Now, listen, I don't think I have to get real, real direct with you, do I? That's what our prayers sound like a lot. No conversation. No desire to be in the presence of God. Just coming to God, begging, begging, receiving, and then going on our merry way. I've got life covered. I don't need you. Whoops. I lost my job. I come back begging. Whoops. I go to the doctor and I come back begging. Oh, My kids are struggling. I come back begging. Instead of walking with him and knowing that I don't have to bug God to get his attention. And I don't have to beg God for an answer. Wow. Like the orphan, the pagan thinks to himself, I better use much repetition to get an answer. Now, why do children beg? You ever thought about that? Why do children beg? It's nothing profound. Why do they beg? Either they are orphans or they're treated like orphans. Either they have no parents to provide for them or their parents don't provide for them. 
They have no father to provide for them. They have no mother to care for them. They have no parents to love them. They go and beg for attention and provision. So I ask you, why do pagans think like orphans? Because sadly, they are orphans. They they don't have a spiritual father. Isn't that tragic? This is the lot... They're doing what you would think to do. I don't know all these gods. And they're powerful. And they're distant. And they're seemingly uncaring and inattentive. So I better beg and bug to get an answer. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Kings 18. Probably the greatest illustration of the pagan model... And the orphan mentality in prayer are the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, 25 through 29. 1 Kings 18, 25 through 29. So Elijah said, verse 25, So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God to put no fire under it. Very simple. Call and ask. Then they took the ox which was given them, they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he is occupied, or gone aside, which literally means go into the bathroom, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. There's that idea. What kind of God, in quotes, would need to be awakened and need you to speak louder so he could hear him? Verse 28, they said, man, you're right. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out on them. And it came about when midday was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Man, is that not powerful stuff? That is it. And yet you and I can be that way in our prayers. So instead of that, Jesus says what in verse 8? He, back in Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, do not be like them. Do not be like them. And instead, pray like God's holy child. Pray like God's holy child. Look at verse 8. So let me get back there. And look at verse 8. Notice what it says. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that beautiful? So beautiful. So here's how to pray like a God's holy child. Number one, don't follow a pagan model of prayer. (laughs) Don't do verse 7. He's going to tell us, do verses 9 through 13. Do the Lord's prayer instead. Don't follow the pagan model. Don't be like them. It's like Jesus is saying, it's like turning, it's like uh, turning, you you ever had a, (laughs) you ever had a neighbor kid? We had all sorts of boys in our neighborhood. You ever had a neighbor kid when you were growing up come to your parents' house and hang around when it's dinner time and have your mom or dad say to him, don't your parents feed you? You know what, you, you know, and the point is, why are you begging? You got a house, you got a home, you got a father. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to you and me, don't be like these people. They don't have a father in heaven. You do. Isn't that good? You do it. Son, stop praying like that. Doesn't your heavenly father take care of you? Why should we stop praying like this? Real simple. We are not what? Orphans. We are not orphans. We are not orphans. Why? Let me show you. We have the birthrights of a child by regeneration, and we have the legal rights of a son by adoption. 
Think about John 1, 12. But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You have been born again by the Spirit. You have been born again by above, from above. You have a second birth. You have a new father. And you have all the birthrights as his child. But even better than that, we have, or more than that, we have the legal rights of a son by adoption. Galatians 3.28 says this, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to emphasize here. We live in a culture now that really wants to emphasize uh, feminist and egalitarian ideas. And yes, there's a sense that as women, you are daughters of God. As men, we are sons of God. But I want you to understand in these kind of passages, the emphasis is in that culture, the firstborn son had the rights and the double blessing and the privileges. And so we don't want to just turn this into daughter we want to say no even as daughters when you come to christ you have the full blessing and privileges as though you were a firstborn son do you see the idea here so yes we're you're daughters of god we're sons of god we can say that but we need to understand the focus because why is this important because ultimately our sonship Adoption is through the Son, who is Jesus Christ. So you start, you start playing with some of this language. You start diminishing the role in the Lordship of the, uh, uh, in the Sonship of the Son of God. And so it, it's just beautiful stuff. Well, what, what does that give us? What, right does that, what legal rights do we have? Well, Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons... And he's talking to men and women, remember? Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, dear Father God. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So listen, when you pray as a believer, you're praying to your heavenly father and you're asking for resources that are yours by the right of inheritance. Isn't that good? You're just asking for what's your own in Christ. That is, if you're praying according to the Lord's Prayer, instead of just selfishly, you know, uh, wanting to pile up treasures on earth and satisfy the lusts of the flesh. So, here's the idea. Romans 8.15 says the same thing. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. We don't have to fear coming to God in prayer. But you have received a spirit of adoptions, as, uh, adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Father. I think I put this in your notes. I came across this this week. This is a new quote from me. The followers of Jesus Christ have only to say, Our Father, to be heard. Oh, man, that was worth all the study this week. We don't have to gyrate. We don't have to mutilate. We don't have to repeat. We don't have to learn the right words. We don't have to worry about how, you know, we don't have to worry about all these things. All we have to do to get God's attention and to begin to ask of him is simply say these words, our father. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. Halfway smile like it's beautiful. Beautiful? Yeah, it's good. Okay, though, so don't follow the pagan model and don't pray with an orphan mentality. Instead of follow the KISS model of prayer. So I'm giving you the KISS. What does KISS stand for in the work world? Man, man, if you guys knew the Lord's Prayer like you knew that. Okay, so remember this, okay? Remember this. Keep it simple, stupid. No! Number one, keep it simple, son. Keep it simple, son. Versus wordy. Keep it simple, son. 
It doesn't mean you don't persevere in prayer. In fact, uh, Jesus taught a parable in Luke 18 about persevering in prayer. We can keep praying for the same thing over a long period of time. That's not what simplicity means. Just as you pray it, keep it simple, son. It doesn't mean not to persist in prayer. Speaking of Elijah, by the way, did you realize that when uh, God said, I'm going to bring rain, Elijah went ahead and prayed, even so God predicted it was coming. He prayed seven times, seven times for something he knew God had already promised. So it's okay to be persistent. And it doesn't mean don't repeat in prayer. Because do you realize on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed the same thing in the same words three times. And I bet you remember, not my will, but your will be done. He prayed the same words three times. So that's not the idea. Just keep it simple. As one uh, student said, it's not the length of the prayer in terms of time that is denounced, but Jesus, because Jesus spent whole nights in prayer and tarried in prayer and his church persevered in prayer, but it's the abuse and redundancy and canned formulas in which the cry of the heart becomes mere words. What does this mean? It means you don't have to beg for it like an orphan. It means you don't have to draw it out hoping to get a hearing. It means you don't have to try to deserve it because you don't and you won't. You're his child. You don't have to try and earn it. You can't. It's a free gift. Is that not beautiful? Keep it simple, son. Number two, keep it short, son. Keep it short, son, versus lengthy. Now, you know, we might be thinking here in America, good, this means we don't have to pray all night like Jesus. No, if you have that much pray about, and if you're that burdened by it, please do so. That's not what short means. But many all-night prayer meetings do not impress God if what we're doing is meaningless repetition with many words. I love this. Deep prayers can be brief prayers. Isn't that true? Deep prayers can be brief. Sometimes we think, well, if the longer I go, the deeper I am, more God's impressed. Nay, nay. Number three, keep it sincere, son. Keep it sincere, son, versus emptiness. Like you're talking to someone you dearly love, you really respect, you greatly honor, and you're so privileged to be in your Father's presence. Cry out, Abba, Father. Turn back to 1 Kings 18. Okay, turn back to 1 Kings 18. So back in 1 Kings 18, look at verse 29, or actually verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 36. So we saw the pagan model, but now Elijah is going to show us the God's dear child, the model of his prayer. So look at verses 36 through 38. Then it came about at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he knew who God was. Today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. He's basically praying, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Verse 37 Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. He's basically ending his prayer, for yours is the, the kingdom and the power and the glory. Basically, he just says, answer, and boom, fire came down. No gyrating, no screaming, no yelling, no cutting of himself. So don't follow a pagan model. Number two, don't fall into an orphan mentality. Don't fall into an orphan mentality in your prayer. So here's, notice why. Look at the end of verse 8. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And every dad knows this. Every mom knows this. So much of what our kids need and ask for, we already have it covered. 
okay? When are we going to eat? I know, I realize you're hungry. It's coming, okay? I still ask when that. So why do so many of God's children still think like an orphan? Let me give you quickly give you three reasons why. One, a bad relationship with their earthly fathers. So often we come to God because we mistake him to be like our father instead of our father in heaven. I dated a girl in college who was embittered towards her father. And whenever we would pray together, she would always pray to Jesus, never to God the Father. This powerfully impacts us. Bad relationship with your earthly fathers. But here's the good news. That you can get to know your heavenly father who is perfect. I, I always would tell tucking Amber in, I love you, your mom, we love you. But understand this, our imperfect love is meant to point you to the one who will love you perfectly and completely. Number two, broken fellowship with their heavenly father. Sin hinders our fellowship with the father. We'll talk about this coming up. It'll make you withdraw from him, avoid him, feel guilty in speaking to him, and your default will be a pagan model. Third, lacking discipleship with your spiritual family. Very first lesson in our discipleship is God no longer treats you like a sinner but a son. And I remember discipling Todd, Adrian, and us going through this and us just having a profound worship experience of realizing how much our Heavenly Father loves us. So don't fall into that orphan mentality. Instead, renew your mind with these last words that Jesus says. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Renew your mind with three things. Here it is. Your Father in heaven knows about your needs. He knows. He's all-knowing. So don't spend a lot of time informing him about your problem. Have you ever caught yourself doing this? And and because I try to use this in my own prayer life, I'm like, I'm talking to God like he doesn't know about this. And it's okay to unburden yourself. But the idea is stop and ask yourself, who are you talking to? You don't have to inform him of all the details. Secondly, your father in heaven cares about meeting your needs. He not only knows, but he knows what you need. It's not an issue of God not caring. He's all loving. You don't have to spend a lot of time instructing God how to answer your prayer. (laughs) Okay, God, I've spent like 20 minutes catching you up. Now I'm going to spend another 20 minutes telling you how to fix it. And then amen. No, no. Number three, your father in heaven answers before you even ask. So it's not an issue of him not being able to answer. You don't have to twist his arm. He is all powerful. You don't have to spend a lot of time inspiring God or impressing God to get an answer. Think about the prodigal son. And then I've got to wrap this up. Stuff's so good. The prodigal son. He got his request, he repents, he comes back, he, he, he rehearses his prayer, right? And he comes to his father, and before he even got near, from afar off, his father saw, and his father ran to him, and so he began this memorized prayer of repentance and forgiveness, and in the middle of the prayer, the father interrupts him and gives him not just what he asked for, but more than he expected. There's a picture of prayer. There is the picture of prayer of the Father to whom we pray. Finally, don't forsake the Father's mandate to pray. You might ask, why should we pray if he already knows? Now, that's a whole other lesson, but here's the idea. Here's the answer I want you to see there in your notes. It pleases the Father to respond to our asking, and it prepares the child to receive his answer. Because this is a relationship, God just loves hearing us pray. Are you with me? Do you love it when your kids come and ask to you? Yeah, it's a joy. I mean, the right, Jody, come on, the right way, the right way. When they come with that heart of mom, dad, right? It's a joy, okay? But in praying, 
Our heart is prepared like the Lord, not your will, but my will be done. It prepares me for that no or yes or wait. So it's, this is powerful stuff, powerful stuff. So here's what I want you to do. On your table, I'll dismiss you with this. Each week, I'm going to have a handout for you. So there on your table is my heart cry to not pray like an orphan. And so here's what I want you to do. You learn to pray. It's taught, which we just did, but it's also caught. You learn to pray by praying. So use that front page to evaluate your prayer life and to write out what God said to you in this lesson. And then you can turn it over and pray. You can either use the Lord's Prayer. If you're not comfortable yet with that, use the P-R-A-Y and pray about not having an orphan mentality. Powerful stuff. (laughs) Powerful stuff that you can use to pray with your family, your kids, your spouse, your roommate, whatever. Okay? Let's go to him. Father, it's, it's rich and it's good. And it's exciting. It's convicting. It's humbling. And it can be sobering when we start allowing your word and your spirit to search our hearts regarding prayer. But as so several have said this week, this is good. I'm encouraged. I'm seeing myself. I need to grow. And so, Father, (laughs) help us grow to pray like your dear children. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Enjoy. Put it into practice this week.